my beat. Come on. We start just the bonsai. Hey everybody, I'm Kyle Rizal. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. And I'm Kimberly Adams. This is What Do You Want to Know Wednesday, the day in the week where we get to answer listeners' questions. You can get your question on the podcast by sending us a email at makemesmartatmarketplace.org. You can also send us a voice memo to that same email address. You can also leave us a voicemail at 508-UB-SMART. I still don't know what the difference is between a voice memo and a voicemail, but that is not you the topic You do. For I today. feel like the you're, to- I you're do being not. intentionally obtuse here. They're the here. same thing. Voicemail, <laughs> voice memo, same bleeping thing. Okay. So the next time that I'm doing a spot and I have phone tape instead of a voice memo, tell me that they're the same. Oh. <laughs> Okay, mm-hmm. now I get it. Now I get it. Mm-hmm. Now you have to explain okay. to the nice people why that matters. <laughs> okay. Uh. So when we're doing stories for Marketplace, we try to get our guests to record their side of the interview. So we'll be talking to them on like Zoom or sometimes on the telephone. And we ask them to use their smartphones to record their own voices so that we get their side of the interview. And then they send us those files. And it's a higher audio quality than if we use our equipment on our end just to record the sound of them on the phone or something like that. And it's easier for people to understand on the radio. It just sounds better. And that's the difference between the voice memo and the phone tape, even though it's not actually tape, it's all digital audio. But there's a definite difference in the sound quality. And that is why we prefer voice memos over voicemails. I I literally, I, I, God's honest truth, did not know the difference. Okay. okay. All right. Anyway, we're just getting smarter by the second on this podcast. All right. Uh, questions today that. is what we're doing. What do you want to know Wednesday? I know. Uh, Nath in New Jersey, here's what uh, that email says. I am just wondering if the current banking issue is going to have any impact on the upcoming vote on the debt limit. Do you think Congress will realize how nervous people are and not mess around with the default? That is essentially a political question, <clears throat> question, Ms. Adams. So over to you. I am so glad that you asked this question because I was literally about to email a source today because this has been kicking around in my head for the last couple Mm. days. Like, how are they able to pull all this money out of the system when they're supposedly jumping through all these hoops for extraordinary measures to keep us from blowing through the debt limit? And thank you very much to the wonderful producers that make me smart. I had all the answers laid out right here because of your questions. So thanks for that. Here's the answer. Um, Yes, SVB and Signature Bank's failures definitely have uh, increased the conversation about the debt limit. And, you know, Democrats are using it as yet another reason why, yes, we do need to raise the debt limit to make even more, give people even more confidence in the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, given that our banking system is not as uh, reliable. Well, it is reliable. It does not appear as reliable as it used to be, even though it's fine. So... um Treasury Secretary Yellen uh, did warn Congress a while back the U.S. banking system said the U.S. banking system is sound, but said that it won't be (laughs) if the debt limit isn't raised in time. So yet another reason why this is something that needs to get done. But on the other hand, Treasury is saying that the FDIC's use of funds to pay SVB and Signature Bank depositors, that is, you know, allowing people to make their deposits even though there was no money in those banks, it's not going to affect the debt ceiling 
X date. The X date being the date that they officially run out of money to pay the bills. The FDIC withdrew about $40 billion in treasury funds to cover lost lost uh, deposits. I don't still I still don't quite know the answer as to why it doesn't affect the X date, but they said it's not. And I think it's because, you know, they're moving things around in different ways. And the extraordinary they the um the Treasury never actually gave us an X date. It's always like right. other people saying, you know, here's when we think it's going to be. So you know, the government has pulled out sort of all these stops to restore faith in the U.S. banking system. And I think that this is just another sign that, you know, Dr. Yellen has a few more tricks up her sleeve to keep the bills being paid if they're able to somehow come up with $40 billion and it not throw off uh, whatever the X state people think it is. Now, if the debt limit isn't raised, that all gets worse. Ultimately, this really is going to be a political fight between Democrats and Republicans over the debt ceiling, debt limit, whatever you want to call it. But in the catastrophic case that the debt limit doesn't get raised, you can best believe that they're going to be fingers pointed at this rescue of these banks. Oh, yeah. It'll be a huge political issue. It's already there's reporting in Politico today. And I think Washington Post had some, too, that Republicans in Congress are looking at the debt limit. Uh, conversation in a new light after the SVB failure. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it's definitely coming. Yeah. Definitely coming. All right. We have another banking-related question, which totally makes sense because there's a lot yeah. to unpack. Here goes. Hi, this is Tina from Morgan Hill, California. So my question for you is, with all of this fallout with Silicon Valley Bank, I tend to use credit unions mm -hmm. instead of banks. What's the difference? And does all of this fallout impact my credit unions? Or is this a different story? Make me smart. Bye. Yeah. Interesting question. So so let's do a little nuts and bolts first, right? Uh, credit unions are financial institutions like banks are, right? But they are owned by their members. They are nonprofits. Uh, they're often specifically for a certain group of people. I was in the Navy Federal Credit Union when I was in the service. Down the road from me, we've got the Jet Propulsion Lab uh, Credit Union. So there's there's all kinds of different, uh, very specific credit unions. Um, they offer a lot of the same products, but not all of the same products because they are generally smaller than even uh, small-ish regional banks, right? Um, mm -hmm. Here's the key thing, though, in terms of this specific story that we're living through right now. Credit union deposits although from a different agency, they are insured just like bank deposits by the FDIC, right? $250,000. That is the key thing you need to know. No credit unions have failed because of the latest crisis, but everybody's worried about their money just like regular bank companies are. Um, two credit unions do fail, right? Credit unions do fail, right? And two have so far this year in, in mm -hmm. 2023, but um, they are different beasts uh, in scale and structure. Uh, but again, I want to say this, your deposits are insured up to $250,000. That's the key thing. That's the key And thing. also like the profit motive is a little bit different with the oh, credit yeah. union yeah. as opposed to a regular bank. Like a regular bank might be encouraged, shall we say, to take riskier investments uh, to, you know, get more return for its investors, mm -hmm. which are the owners, as opposed to a credit union maybe doesn't need to do that because their owners are their depositors and there's maybe that incentive isn't so strong. So there's that yep. too. Totally fair. Totally fair. 
Uh, all right, another one. Uh, Luis sent us an email. Here's what it says. What does it take to convert? Oh, this is a good story. What does it take to convert mm-hmm. an office building to housing, and how often does this actually happen? We are helped out so much by the amazing Amy Scott, who yeah. recently just like she just did a story on just. this. Yeah, and like, <laughs> and it's a really good one. You should go back and listen. And she had a look at the conversion of a vac- a vacant historic office building in downtown Baltimore. She lives in Baltimore. It's a 15-story building. It's going to be turned into some commercial space and 231 apartments. And yes, there is a trend, and there has been to do these kinds of conversions and it reached an all-time high uh, between like 2020 and 2021 although we're still kind of waiting on newer numbers to do these kinds of conversions 11,000 apartments were made out of office space which is not all that many when you think about the housing supply and the number of office buildings in the United States and the number of apartments that we need. It does seem like given all these vacant office buildings or sparsely populated office buildings, including Marketplace headquarters in Los Angeles, uh, that it would make perfect sense to convert these to apartments. It doesn't always work and it's super expensive. So the developer in Amy's story bought a building for $6 million and ended up and is planning to spend $47 million to renovate it. And also most modern office building floor plans end up being really hard to turn into something that would work as a residence. Think about the last time you were in an office building. Did the windows open? Probably Mm -hmm. not. And as we all learned in COVID, which was a terrible thing, uh, you probably don't want to live in an apartment where you can't open the windows. Also, you know, in these historic office buildings tend to lend themselves better to this because, as, as Amy reported, there's no point inside that's more than 30 feet from a window, whereas if you look at a modern office building, if you are not so high ranked in your company, you probably have that cubicle in the dead center of the building where you never mm. see the light of day. And anyway, uh, Moody's analytics study showed that only 35 out of 1100 New York City office buildings they tracked were able to be flipped into apartments. And then in major cities like New York, office to apartment conversions often end up being luxury apartments with super high rents because those construction costs can be so prohibitively high. So it doesn't exactly help us with our affordable housing crisis. Yeah, there was a great piece in the New York Times about 10 days ago about exactly Mm. this issue. And they looked at old historic buildings and why they sometimes work and why new offices don't. And it's it was a really interesting piece. Highly recommend. 10 out of 10. You know what does work really well for affordable housing what? conversion? And I can find some articles on this is churches. In the neighborhood where oh, I grew up, um, they converted. Well, this was a, this is a slightly bad example, but then I'll get to the good one. There was an old uh, Catholic church that they converted into condos. And those were expensive. But there's a trend happening all over the country where churches, which have declining, you know, attendance because, you know, we're Mm -hmm. millennials and Gen Zers are godless heathens. You know, we (laughs) don't go to church. And so they aren't having as many, you know, members and people aren't tithing and and supporting the upkeep. So what a lot of churches are doing is they own the land that they're on a lot of times. So they'll sell Mm. the land to a developer who will make like a smaller footprint church for them and then build apartments up around it. There's like three of these in my neighborhood in DC. And I think one is under construction. 
where they tore down mm. the old church and they built a big apartment building where like the church has like the ground two floors on one corner and some of these churches when they're making these deals they're requiring that a big chunk of the housing becomes affordable housing or housing for seniors or workforce housing or something like that which you know it's not exactly converting a building it's usually knocking something down and building something up but it does bring that housing in and it's much more affordable. Yeah. Huh. Churches. Fascinating. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. All right. Last question of the day. Mariah in Tallahassee sent in two questions for you, Kai. Number one. All right. Does Kai, <laughs> does Kai know there's a sandwich named after him? The Kai Rizdal at Wax Paper Sandwich Shop is described as, quote, American tuna salad. <laughs> marinated celery, shredded lettuce, green onion vinaigrette, black olive aioli, and a on a France sesame roll. Second question. Are there any laws around naming menu items or other products after famous people? Kai? That's a good question. So, so uh, yes, I am aware. I have been to Wax Paper many a time. Uh, the best part of that whole thing is that I am just not a tuna salad guy at all. Which is why I was cracking up. <laughs> uh huh. I just, I just, I just, tuna salad on me, just, it, it don't go. But my daughter loves the Kai Rizdal. So if you go to the Wax Paper Co.'s website, and I think, I think it's waxpaperco.com or something like that. Anyway, there's a bunch on there, right? And, and there's some local NPR, uh, member station folks have their sandwiches named and, I get, I think, an Audie Cornish, which is like a, like a, well, Steve Julian, who used to be a guy here, is a pork thing. And it's, anyway, great, great, great sandwiches. They literally started right before the pandemic in a, in a shipping container down near the LA River. And now they've got two locations. It's booming. It's awesome. Highly recommend if you come. Number two, yes, there are laws that say they can't do that. Um, and in fact, it's the whole name image likeness thing, right? They prevent those laws prevent businesses from using my name or my image or my likeness uh, in ways that drive their profitability. And if I wanted to, I could object. But number one, I'm not a jerk. And number two, this is a small <laughs> business that's you know thriving based at least part I hope on on what my uh, sandwich is doing for their sales. Really good historical example, and and thank you, uh, Courtney, for digging this one out. Is Shirley Temple right? That mocktail. Mm -hmm was served for a long, long time. I think it's like club soda and grenadine with a maraschino cherry, right? I used to get them when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. They were served for years and years and years, uh, and it wasn't until a soft drink company named one of their new products after Shirley Temple that she decided to sue. Um, so, yes, they can do it if, they're, if the celebrity, celebrity in air quotes, because that's not what I mm -hmm. am, um, yes, is okay with it, guy. or you know, they can just they can just wait for the cease and desist letter to come from my attorneys, which I will never send to Wax Paper Company. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Not that anybody should take this as license to start like making all kinds no, of crazy that's, kind yes, of things. No, that is true. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Oh, my then Lord. he will be a celebrity and send his lawyers after that's, you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But uh, but yeah, try those sandwiches. There's one. There's one location in Chinatown, and then the other one in Frogtown. If you come to LA, uh, but that's it. We're done. If you got a question about businesses or sandwiches or technology or this economy or anything you want, uh, you know how to get a hold of us. And I know now the difference between voice memos and voicemails. 508, you be smart uh, and make me smart at marketplace.org is how you do that. I'm so glad we were able to finally solve this for you. Yes. Uh, literally, I, I was not aware. 
Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeger, who has the answers to all of the questions. Ellen Rolfus writes our newsletter. Our intern is Antonia Barreras. Today's program was engineered by Charlton Thorpe. Ben Talada and Daniel Ramirez are still in our credits. They did our theme music. Our acting senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bonner is the director of podcast. Francesca Levy is the executive director of Digital and On Demand. And you got it before the fade out. Bam. There you go.